Hey, I'm Wyatt Welch, and you're listening to Echo Talk. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Echo Talk. This is now my ninth time recording this intro. I don't know what it is about this podcast episode specifically that has made me lose how to do a podcast at all, but it has. So we're going to go with this one. Thank you for listening. I appreciate it. Um, I really quickly wanted to shout out a couple of my friends who just told me that they started listening. So thank you, Shaylin and Kelsey. I know you, uh, Kelsey's getting caught up on them right now. So when you get to this one, hello, Kelsey. Thanks for, thanks for listening. And hello, Shaylin. Thanks for listening again, too. I really quickly also needed to tell you that I am, again, sick and not with love, unfortunately. This is February, the month of love. I am sick with the sickness. And it's somehow been plaguing me for the past month of where I've had a constant sore throat and runny nose kind of, and it's not fun. So I'm hyped up on DayQuil and I'm ready to go. It's kind of like blame it on the alcohol, but it's NyQuil, the digital footprint. It's amazing that anyone could just come back and listen to these. Anyways, regardless, let's get into the pyramid for this week. My pyramid for this week is the animal kingdom. I howled like a wolf while pounding my chest like a gorilla. So that's your hybrid animal for the night there, the gorilla dog. Now, the animal kingdom pyramid are just the animals that came to mind when I thought about a pyramid, because obviously there's thousands, but I had to have some opinions about some of them. And I also didn't do pets, because obviously dogs would be such like a top tier animal, but I didn't put dogs in them in the animal kingdom pyramid. We're strictly sticking with animals that you would find in a zoology book. That's a good way to put it. So starting off at the bottom of our pyramid is the worst animal known to man, snakes. Now, some of you are probably like, well, snakes are a pet. No, they're not. Snakes ah, are the worst. I hate them. They freak me out. They slither. They snake. Snakes are bad as pets. Snakes are bad as animals. Snakes are bad as people. No. Now, I get it. Some people like snakes, okay? I'm just saying it's a personal red flag of mine if someone tells me that they play with snakes and they have a pet snake. I won't go over to your house because I'm deathly afraid that snake's going to crawl out and kill me. Then you have people be like, well, no, snakes are friendly. Or you can play with gardener snakes. No! If I wanted to play with something snake-like, I would play with... A spaghetti noodle. I'm sorry. My mind started to venture off. <laughs> and we're moving on now. Now. On to the next animal. We have anything chicken bird looking. So that includes chickens. That includes ostriches. That includes flamingos. That includes anything that looks like it has raw legs and it could attack me. Freaks me out. My aunt has chickens on her farm. And I really am scared of them. I don't know what it is, but I'm terrified that they're going to get me with their little claw feet and their red feet. It looks like raw boiled skin and it freaks me out. They just, they scare me. Okay. I'll admit that I am a little bit scared of chickens here on my podcast. And who isn't, honestly? There's got to be some people that are afraid of those bird-like things. You cannot tell me that if an ostrich was charging you, you would not be afraid. I would be beside myself if an ostrich came after me. And just think about that. The next time you need something to be fearful of, think ostrich. And you got it. You're set. 
The next animal on my list is kind of my neutral choice, and I'm going to be attacking somewhat of a favorite animal, I think, here. But it's not really attacking. Anyways, the next animal on my pyramid is a penguin. Now, you may say, why the penguins? Why are you attacking the penguins? And here's what I'll say to that response. I will say, penguins are kind of stuck up, I think. When I go to see the penguins at the zoo, which... Yeah, I get it. Zoos aren't great for penguins, and I should be seeing them in their natural habitat, but unfortunately, I don't live on a glacier. And I can't just see them in the wild, so I have to go to the zoo. Or I can see them on TV, but whatever. They don't—this is going to sound so first-world problem of me—but they don't perform for me. They don't do the little tricks. They aren't dancing like the Happy Feet penguins. I just see them, and I'm like, you guys are standing, and you're not even kind of being cute. So— that's my problem with penguins, is to me, they seem a little bit stuck up, a little bit overrated. I used to love penguins, but then I have just kind of lost that love for them. Still think they're cool. I'll still watch a penguin at the zoo. I still have to go to the penguins at the zoo or the aquarium, but I do think they do get a little bit overhyped. So sorry, penguin lovers. Next, we are onto our top three animals. The next one is specifically just because my aunt loves them. And so I feel like it's installed a love for me as a child. But dolphins, I think truly, if I was lost out at sea, it wouldn't be a human or a boat that would rescue me. It would be a dolphin. I feel like the dolphins would guide me to shore. They'd let me rest upon their fin as they glide upon the water. I would do dives with them as they do in the movies. And a dolphin would save me from drowning or a shipwreck. Not other humans, but a dolphin. Can I just quickly say, Jennifer Coolidge wants to be a dolphin who guessed that Jennifer Coolidge would come to her shining light and glory this year? I did. So pay up. My Venmo is quiet note. So you can Venmo me and tell me I was right for my prediction of Jennifer Coolidge coming to light. And yeah, I was correct on that. Thank you. Next. It also comes from another family member loving these. And it is deer. There's nothing more exciting to me than while I'm driving on the road and I'll just look over and see a deer. It, you have to point every time. You have to shout it, deer! And everyone turns and looks, and the entire car gets excited. Because you can see a cows, you can see horses, but there's something special about deer. A little Bambi on the road. Now, not Bambis on the actual road. That, that scares me. I don't want to hit a deer. But I do love seeing the little deer as I'm driving up to my house. I see them all the time, and it's really fun to see. So they're kind of like entertainment for the road. Because you can't be using your phone on the road. That's not safe. But we can watch deer. I'm going to wonder if I'm going to look back and hear this and think like that was Wyatt speaking or was that NyQuil speaking or was it a combination of both? Maybe it's a little of both. Are you ready for the top tier animal, the top of my pyramid? If you know me, you know what animal it's going to be. And it is an otter. Otters, I have to hard pronounce that T apparently. Otters are just so adorable. And they're like little fur water dogs that swim in the water. And they hold hands, they give each other stones that they think are special as gifts, they play, they make little noises. I'll tell you, when I go to the aquarium, guess who performs? The otters. They're smiling at me, they wave at me, and they play games. So, otters, give some notes to the penguins. Penguins, take note. Watch and learn how it's done. Watch how an animal should, <laughs> should behave in an unnatural habitat. This is all jokes, by the way, everyone. If we could have it our way, I would love for the animals to be free from the zoo, living in a place where I could still observe them and watch them play. Like a 
huge glass barrier around their habitat. That'd be perfect for all of us. <laughs> okay, before I offend anyone else, I'm just going to move on to our topic for today, which happens to be a love story. So it is February, if you didn't know, if you are not listening to this in February, I apologize, but it is February for me currently right now. So what I thought would be fun is if I shared with you, I have four Tuesdays this month, if I shared with you my four favorite love stories, and I thought it would be kind of fun not to just tell you word for word, but I kind of wanted to do it like almost a storybook of where I'm telling you the story. Now, there's a lot of different versions of this story that I'm going to tell you today, so I've kind of taken bits and pieces in the way that I would tell it as if I was telling someone at a campfire or someone asked me to tell them a story. This is how I would present it. So you may know the original tale, but what I have done is I've taken the bits and pieces that I like, added in some bits and pieces that I like, and then I I wrote it out, wrote, written, written, I wrote it, written, ah, I wrote it out on a notebook and I composed it into my own language of how, how I would tell this story. So hopefully you like it. If not, it's okay. It just took me like three hours to write and you can stop me from having to do it in the future. So if you are my friend, if you are my family, if you are listening to this, if you like it, please let me know. If you don't like it, please let me know because either way, I'll be happy. I'll be happy if you like it because then I can continue on telling these stories. If you hate it, then please, I'll be happy. I'll cry a little bit but I'll be happy that I don't have to write another story for three hours where no one's going to like. So do me a favor, tell me what you think. The love story for today is about Orpheus and Eurydice. Now, part of the reason I love this story without giving you a spoiler is because it's not your average love story. You can kind of get a lot of different meanings. You can have a lot of different opinions. You can have a lot of different thoughts about what happens within this story and you can interpret it in different ways, just like how I did. The way that I am telling you is my interpretation. It's Also, how I think the characters would act or behave from all the different variations and storytellings that I have heard. Now, it of course comes from the Greek mythology. That's where these characters come from. But I'm going to tell you the tale of Orpheus and Eurydice under Wyatt's version, which I have titled To Hell and Back. To set the mood, I might add a little background music. Might not. We'll see if I hate it or not. We'll see. Okay, let's get into author voice, my little storytelling voice. I must warn you. The story is about love, but it does not end with the happy ending that you'd hope for. This story, like others, will have its beautiful moments, make you believe that all will be right. But like I said, that's not the case for this story. This is the tale of Orpheus and Eurydice, a love worth going to hell and back for. Orpheus was a plain boy. He wasn't strikingly beautiful or extraordinarily smart. He could easily be lost amongst a crowd, if it weren't for his gift. Orpheus was given his talent for music from the gods themselves, He had the voice that every singer longs for, the type of voice that draws you in and seemingly places the world around you on pause. Equipped with the lyre, Orpheus would walk through the forests and play. Nature would listen. When his voice carried through the flowers, they would double in size and color, blooming just to listening closer. The trees would sway and offer their fruits. The restless winds would seize as to not overpower his enchanting song. Orpheus loved sharing his gift with the world, though he knew his song was missing something, but could not recognize or place what it could be. He was missing his unfound harmony. Until one day, Eurydice came into the forest, a dazzling girl with the blazing energy of the sun. Orpheus had seen beauty in nature before, but none compared to her. For once, he was at a loss for words. No lyrics could do justice for how he felt in that moment, for who can accurately describe love at first sight? 
He knew he was destined to be by her side and her by his. Orpheus, who, mind you, is not the most handsomest of men, approached Eurydice with a hope and amazement and awe. He asked if she'd join him for a walk in the fields. Eurydice, always craving adventure, wondered how such a plain-looking boy could possibly offer what she was looking for. She had been sought after by many for her beauty, but somehow he seemed different. She felt like something was there between them. They both did. They both were right. They began their walk with each other, each step feeling lighter, each step growing brighter, each step more sure than the last. This is who was meant to be by my side. They both found what they were looking for. They would walk and he would play and she would dance along beside him, feeling free and full of life and adventure. This was their life. They were undeniably happy. Others would kill for the love that they shared. Seeing them walk, hearing him play, watching her dance, this was their life. Each step in the future feeling lighter, each step growing brighter, each step more sure than the last. This is who I want by my side. When the time came for the couple to be wed, Orpheus sang for all of nature to hear. The petals, the soil, the branches, they all longed to be a part of the symphony, offering the couple rings crafted of wood and crowns intertwined with vibrant petals and flowers and skies that looked down upon the two, gracing them with its warmness and clarity. It was the happiest they will ever be. As the years went on, the two would continue to walk, each step feeling lighter, each step growing brighter, each step more sure than the last. This is who is meant to be by my side. Orpheus loved Eurydice more and more with every step that he took. Eurydice, though madly in love with Orpheus, seemed to start to walk down a different path. They would walk, he would play, she would dance behind him, feeling content and comfortable. This was their life. Now, Eurydice's mind would often tempt her to journey off of the path. She resisted this temptation, though, for she knew of the dangers that could lie in the brush, for Orpheus had warned her about the dangers of the forest. One day as they were walking, Eurydice began to give in to her weakness. That sense of adventure was calling for her. So, she decided to take a step off of the path. As she followed along behind Orpheus, she would find herself more and more off of the path and into the brush. Each step detouring from the path feeling lighter, each step growing brighter, each step more sure than the last. This is what's meant to be by my side. As she ventured deeper and deeper into the woods, she could feel herself come to life again, as if she was having her mind and soul renewed. She danced and she laughed and she felt full of life and adventure. This was her life. Orpheus knew of his wife's boredom and craving for something new. He wanted her to be happy and he wanted to provide her with what she was needing. So he planned a journey for the two, through the tallest of mountains and the lowest of valleys. Then he would tell her that night after their walk. He was hopeful that this would bring him back to Eurydice's side and her to his. That night on their walk, he was so excited to surprise her with the news of travel and change. Each step he took feeling lighter, each step growing brighter, each step more sure than the last. This is who I want by my side. Eurydice following behind started to stray as she usually would, heading deeper and deeper into the forest until she was no longer in sight. Orpheus, who was swirling with excitement, didn't take notice of his wife's absence until he arrived back at home. He knew that Eurydice would often venture off into the woods against his caution, so he decided to wait for his love to return, for he knew if he were to follow her into the brush, she would only distance herself further. As time went on, Orpheus began to wait, each minute feeling longer, each pace growing quicker, each fear more worrisome than the last. 
Hours went by and darkness soon was covering each rock and pebble that lie on the path. Orpheus's concern grew more and more until he cried out for help and song. The air grew cold and the smell of perpetual spring faded. The forest knew something that Orpheus didn't, and he ran. Branches and bushes parted for him as he frantically called out for his wife, yet there was only silence answering back. It wasn't until he made his way to a clearing in the field that he found what he was looking for. He saw Eurydice lying down in the short grass, and he had hoped she had just felt tired and lay down to sleep. He knew he was wrong. As he walked towards his wife, each step feeling slower, each tear flowing stronger, each step more sure than the last, Eurydice was dead. She was bitten by a serpent of the field and could not handle its venom. Orpheus wept for his bride, for his partner, for his best friend, pleading and begging for a chance to start the day over to warn her of the serpent, to follow her into the woods to protect her, to let it be him and not her. He wailed and he cried, feeling empty of life and adventure. This was his life. Eurydice's soul was in the underworld now, now no longer by Orpheus's side. In the time that followed after Eurydice's death, Orpheus would walk, singing songs of his grief that nature couldn't bear to hear. The trees wilted, the leaves would fall, the fields became barren, for they all were heartbroken for Orpheus. The gods noticed this and would listen to Orpheus and his song of grief. Even the most spiteful among the gods took pity on Orpheus. So they decided to grant him an opportunity. They came to him and said, Eurydice rests in the underworld with Hades. There's a path that you can take that leads directly to the underworld, but you should know, no mortal has ever gone to the underworld and returned. Orpheus had to at least try. He knew he wasn't good with a sword or a weapon. He knew he wasn't the strongest man out there, but he knew that he would do everything within his power for a chance for Eurydice to come back to his side. So off Orpheus went into the underworld with only his lyre by his side. Cerberus, the three-headed dog that guards the gate to the underworld, lay down upon hearing Orpheus's song of grief and woe, letting Orpheus into the underworld unscathed. Upon reaching the river Styx, he met Charon, who was in charge of the ferry crossing the river. Charon was so moved by Orpheus and his song that Charon took Orpheus across the river Styx free of passage. Orpheus has now made it to the palace of the god of the underworld, Hades. Orpheus begged and pleaded with Hades to please let Eurydice return to the overworld with him, but Hades refused. Why would a god seek pity on a mortal? Orpheus then began to play his song. Music filled the palace, something Hades hadn't heard in a long time. Persephone, Hades' wife, started to cry at the sad song. Persephone knew and felt what it was like to grieve. Even the three fates stopped their screeching and wailing and began to become overwhelmed with sorrow for the song was so beautiful and riddled with grief and woe that even the underworld took pity on Orpheus. Upon seeing this reaction from his wife and his subjects, Hades too began to feel sorry for Orpheus. Hades could not bring himself to believe that there was a love like this that truly existed. So he allowed Orpheus to take Eurydice back with him to the overworld. However, there was a condition. Orpheus and Eurydice were to walk the path back to the overworld with Orpheus leading and Eurydice following. But if Orpheus was to turn around, Eurydice would have to stay in the underworld with Hades forever. Orpheus wept with relief and appreciation with this generosity from the god of the underworld and agreed to these conditions, knowing that their love could survive this test. 
Hades instructed Orpheus to turn around and that Eurydice would appear behind him, but she would not be able to speak or call out for him. Hades assured Orpheus Eurydice would be following behind. Orpheus nodded and took off for the overworld, each step feeling lighter, each step growing brighter, each step more sure than the last. This is who is meant to be by my side. It was a long travel back to the overworld, for the underworld was hot and dark and the atmosphere of it all was daunting. Orpheus knew the odds were stacked against him, but he remained faithful that Eurydice was behind him, and he continued along the road in the path. He began to think of his life with Eurydice in the overworld and the days and when they first met, and when they would travel along beside one another. They would walk, he would play, she would dance alongside him, feeling free and full of life and adventure. That was their life. This was the thought that kept him going, that helped him fight the urge to turn around to see if his love was truly behind him, and Orpheus had made it halfway without a doubt in his mind, feeling confident, and kept on going. The doubts started to get harder and harder to fight. He felt as if he was needing to wield a sword to defend them off. What if she's not behind me, he wondered. What if Hades lied? What if she had a choice but she didn't follow me because she craved more adventure here of the underworld? Orpheus tried to shake off these thoughts as they came up, but they started to flood his brain, each step feeling heavier, each step growing darker, each step more unsure than the last. Orpheus would take pauses in walking to see if he could try to hear Eurydice's footsteps, but he would hear nothing. He would call out her name to see if there would be a reply, but as Hades had told him, she would not be able to answer. So he decided to talk to her and told her of the love that he had for her and apologized for not giving her the adventure that she needed and sought after. Hours and hours and hours went by and Orpheus walked and walked and walked and walked, in each step feeling heavier, each step growing darker, each step more unsure than the last. As he was reaching the end of the tunnel, his armor of memories with Eurydice simply turned to the thought, don't turn around. Don't turn around, he would say. Don't turn around, he would say, each step that he took, the doubts, the fears, the insecurity, all attacking him like knives dug deep into his heart that he could not bear it. Yet he continued to fight for his love who he wishes was by his side. Orpheus breaks through and endured the agonizing pain and misery that plagues his mind. He had reached the final 10 feet of the trail. He could almost feel the warmth of sun on his skin. He could hear the birds singing songs of encouragement. He was assured he had made it. He embarked on his last steps. 10. Don't turn around. 9. Don't turn around. 8. What if Hades did this to humiliate me? Seven, don't turn around. Six, what if this was all for nothing? Five, don't turn around. Four, Eurydice didn't follow me in the overworld. Why would she follow me now? Three, don't turn around. Two, what if I'm not the one she wants by her side? One. As Orpheus begins to take his final step, he was consumed by his doubts turning around to see that Eurydice was following close in suit. She was not able to make a sound. The pair stared at one another, not in anger or resentment, but in knowing that they never look upon one another again. As Eurydice began to slowly fade away into the ground, Orpheus was again at a loss for words. 
just like they had when they first met. They simply gave a faded smile, for how could words give such a farewell? She faded away, losing her life in adventure. And, in a way, Morpheus did too. He no longer sang songs of grief or love. He no longer sang. He no longer played the lyre with sadness or hope. He no longer played. Instead, he walked. And he walked. Each step feeling harder. Each step growing lonelier. Each step more sure than the last. She is who I wish was by my side. Guys, that was the story. Did you like it? <laughs> I definitely got into it for sure at the very last part as I was counting down those steps. Um, yeah. So obviously not a very happy love story at all. It ends very tragically. So one time when we were, I was substitute teaching, I talked with my kids about the story because we would do this little thing in the mornings of where we would watch like a little Greek mythology for kids short or something. And this was the one that came up. A lot of people say that it was Orpheus's doubts, right? His insecurities that got to him and that's why he turned around. And... While that does obviously sound like what happened, there was another kind of more beautiful side of the story that someone else had mentioned of, or I guess kind of a, a brighter look on it, is that Orpheus could not take one more step without looking back to see the love of his life. He had gone through hours and hours of hours of this pain and agony, but then he just, he needed to see her, right? That he couldn't take one more step without turning around to see the love of his life. And unfortunately, it does end just like that. In all, in all of the versions, Eurydice does not get to escape the underworld, and Orpheus does return back to the overworld by himself. So that is the one part I did not make up. Like I said, a lot of these things or parts of this story were kind of me writing it in, taking inspiration from Town, the actual myth, the YouTube videos that I've seen about all of these things. So I encourage you, if you liked this story, you can actually go listen to other versions of the story as well. They are going to be different. Like I said, there, there's a snake that bites her at some point. I think in Hadestown, Hades entices Eurydice to come to see him in Hadestown and traps her there. It's a beautiful musical, by the way, which great songs. But that was the first time I ever had heard that story was in Hadestown, the musical. And at the end, I was just kind of left speechless. I was like, oh, what? She doesn't leave? This isn't a happy ending? So yeah, that's the love story of Eurydice and Orpheus. Kind of cute. <laughs> kind of not, though, in a way, right? I did have a friend, though, who named their daughter Eurydice, and they said it's because they would go to hell and back for her, and I thought that was a beautiful thing. So that was my love story for you guys, for one of my favorite love stories. And I hope you liked it. Like I said, it's a little bit different than what I normally do on my podcast, but I wanted to try something different and I wanted to shake things up a little bit. So tell me, did you like it? Because if you did, I'll do something more like this for the month of February. I'll keep telling my three other favorite love stories. If you didn't like this way that I told it in a storybook setting, let me know because it does take time and I would love to hear if you hated it. So let me know what you think. Anyways, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed listening and you liked what you heard and you liked it a lot, please, please, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever you listen on. If you want to be shouted out, that's a great way to do it. Or you can share my podcast on your social media and I will shout you out as well. Thank you again so much for listening. I hope you have a great week and I will catch you next week. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>